Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker. Here's kind of a guitar player joke. So you get two guitar players on either side of a river, and the one yells across to the other one, how do I get to the other side? And the other guitar player says, you are on the other side. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. I'm Rico Galliano, and from American Public Media, this is the Dinner Party Download, the show that helps you win your next dinner party. Our icebreaker this week came from guitar virtuoso Billy McLaughlin. Last week it was jokes about dumb drummers, and this week it's dumb guitars. Next week it'll be dumb bassists and yeah. accordion players. <laughs> but this week, coming up, we have British satirist Chris Morris, Purple Windmills, Black Bart, The Annuity, Gateway Animals, and Crystal Castles Find the Cure. But first... Time for small talk. So, Rico, the color orange had a great week. You're, you're speaking, of course, of Halloween. Orange yes. is one of the official colors of Halloween, right. so it could be seen adorning houses and sad cubicles <laughs> across America. That's true. Also, the San Francisco Giants won the World Series. Yay. Their colors, of course, being orange and black. It's like it was preordained by a goblin. Yeah, that's right. The baseball goblin. Right. Or who, because you're from you're a who, Phillies fan, it could yeah. be Satan. Well, the goblin obviously doesn't live in Philadelphia. <laughs> and finally, the best news for Orange this week, John Boehner was elected Speaker of the House. <laughs> His skin tone is a sight to behold. It is very pumpkin-y. You, you should behold it only with sunglasses. It'll burn your eyes out. To add some color to your dinner party, we asked for some stories from our colleagues at Marketplace. <laughs> Avishai Artsy, assistant producer, what story are you going to be talking about this weekend? It's about two rabbits, Kathy and Miffy. It sounds lovely. Yeah, well, it's actually kind of contentious. Uh, Miffy is this well-known Dutch children's book character, Rabbit, and the creator has sued Sanrio, the Japanese company behind Hello Kitty, because they have a character named Kathy that looks a lot like Miffy. So it's Rabbit versus Rabbit. Who won? Uh, Miffy won. Kathy can no longer be sold in the Netherlands, Belgium, and Luxembourg. So Miffy's next book is going to be called uh, Miffy Crushes Her Enemies Using All Legal Means at Her Disposal. Yeah, parental guidance strongly recommended. Adrian Hill, sustainability reporter for Marketplace. What story are you going to be talking about this weekend? Well, it turns out we're painting our wind turbines, our big windmills, the wrong color. Wait, they're, they're white, the color of clouds. It seems perfect. It does seem perfect, but the white, the color of clouds, also attracts bugs, which attracts bats and birds, which then get killed by the windmills. Oh, that's right. The birds get butchered in the windmill. Very sad. So instead, it turns out we should be painting these things purple. Purple windmills sounds like a, a lucky charm marshmallow. Delassie Michelis, web developer, what story are you going to be talking about this weekend? Well, a bunch of uh, Brooklyn fashion designers are going to be staging a show pretty soon, uh, and they're going to be using the Nutria, the fur of the nutria, which is this giant rodent that's been overrunning Louisiana. So that's a nice way of saying they're going to make clothes out of rat fur. Clothes and capes and wraps and shawls and, and I think even a fur-lined <laughs> wedding dress. This is like the ultimate anti-PETA fur, you realize, because nothing a, a protester could throw on it would be more disturbing than the actual clothes. That's, that's true. Like, oh, the, you threw blood on me? I'm wearing a rat. And now, time for cocktails. Once again, we tell you something that happened this week in history, then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's like history is the desert, except instead of sand and cactus, it's full of booze. <laughs> so it's just like an ocean of booze, then. Yes, or a, a wet lake bed. Yeah. All right, here's the history part. This week, back in 1883, Charles Bowles wrote his last poem. Now, even the lit majors at your dinner party probably won't recognize that name. Our friend Michelle Phillippe is here to tell the tale. 
Charles Bowles was known for two things, rhymes and robberies. It all began in 1871. Bowles had a silver mine in Montana until Wells Fargo Bank decided they wanted the land and cut off his water supply. Bowles walked away, but swore revenge. And he got some, all right. For eight years, Bowles robbed dozens of Wells Fargo stagecoaches. Using a pseudonym, he swiped from a dime store novel, Black Bart. Bart wasn't like other highwaymen. He was polite. He had a gun, but he never fired a shot. And then he started leaving messages at the scenes of his crimes in verse. I've labored long and hard for bread, for honor and for riches. But on my corns too long you've tread, you fine-haired sons of bitch. The poems made Black Bart a folk hero, even after he was caught in November 1883 and swore he'd never rob again. In fact, when he was released, reporters immediately asked if he'd write more poetry, to which he replied, Now, didn't you hear me say that I am through with crime? So that was the history lesson. Now it's time for the booze. I'm on the line with Greg Lindgren. He is the co-owner of Rybar in San Francisco, where Black Bart spent some time and was finally arrested. Greg, you heard the history. What cocktail did it inspire you to make? We're calling this cocktail the annuity. (laughs) Because? I did some research on my own, read about a rumor that Black Bart was actually paid by Wells Fargo to stop robbing their stagecoaches, and I thought that was uh, pretty cool. <laughs> so after he got out of jail, they uh, they made him a deal? So it says. I wish they would make me that deal. Me too. <laughs> cool. So so what's in the drink? The cocktail that we came up with is a spin on a, on a brandy sour Okay. made with one and a half ounces of Germain Robin brandy. Uh, that's oh. from right here in Ukiah, California. Which is, that's Gold Rush country, if I'm correct. That is correct. All right. And we use lemon juice, uh, three quarters of an ounce, uh-huh. and the white of one egg, and then sweeten it up a little bit with half an ounce of honey syrup. Wow, that sounds fantastic. I was thinking if you're going to do something with Wells Fargo, you might just do overdraft beer. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brendan, I thought Ralphie captured Black Bart. Um, he shot him with a BB gun in the yeah. backyard. Right? A Christmas Story is not a documentary, Rico. What? Oh, my God. I'm going to have to tell him about Santa Claus. What about Santa Claus? Folks, if you have trouble telling fiction from reality, don't use Wikipedia or ask Rico. Use our website, dinnerpartydownload.org. But trickle-down economics works, right? Yeah, totally. Hey! Our guest of honor this week is Chris Morris. He is one of the most respected TV and radio satirists in the UK. He starred in the British TV series The IT Crowd, and his movie directing debut opens this week. It's called Four Lions, and it is a black comedy about a group of bumbling Muslim terrorists. And Chris, welcome. Thank you very much. So did you just sit down one day and think, you know, for my first film, what subject, if I make even the slightest artistic misstep, is most likely to get me shot or (laughs) accused of being a terrorist sympathizer or a racist? It wasn't a case of sitting down. This really was a bumbling into a, a subject just through trying to break through the kind of drivel that you get fed through the mainstream media about this subject. So I was reading into the subject. And I didn't expect this at all, but I kept finding things which were funny, like the Canadian cell who were plotting to kill the Canadian Prime Minister until they forgot who he was. Uh, you know, that 
the same guys designed a remote control detonator in order to protect themselves from blowing themselves up, but it had a range of 10 feet. So I thought, well, an exception we can ignore, but it became a pattern those kind of stories. And I suddenly realized that, of course, they would be because you're dealing with average people trying to do exceptional things. They're going to fail. Average blokes trying to do an exceptional, difficult thing are going to fail. But it, it's not just the terrorists that come off badly in this film. It's the government. It's the police. Everyone, by the end, is sort of revealed to be dangerously clueless. Do you have any hope <laughs> that we can actually get through this period of human history? I don't think you should look at a film as a blueprint for hope or otherwise, particularly one single film like this. The sad thing is there kind of aren't more that deal with this subject in any sort of fully excavated way. I have to ask you, you you've been doing this extremely biting satire now for years. I can imagine it being simultaneously cathartic and also really depressing after a while, attacking the craziness of society which sort of wins out for you it's not quite like that because i think the depressing thing is when you're about to do something for which you know the whole landscape that's depressing but entering into a new realm and this film you had to learn a lot really to be able to write the comedy getting into that is so interesting and actually breaks apart the scary narrative i mean look there's nothing more depressing than the scary narrative which just says we have to fight pure evil and it's scary and there's no escape from that fear you just have to fight your way out of it and what's more by the way this will cost you billions of pounds and you're just going to have to accept being lied to that's pretty depressing when you actually read into it and find the nuances and you find out more about it that's the opposite of depressing all right we asked two questions of everyone on this show First of all, if we were seated next to you at a dinner party, what question would you least like to be asked? I did get asked at a festival, uh, were these guys doing God's bidding? What, what The characters? Yeah, in the film. Were these guys doing God's bidding? And what would God have made of what they did? And I actually thought, you know what? I, it's quite fun to be asked to speak on God's behalf. But there are many people speaking on God's behalf. We don't want to add to that inglorious number, do we? You're right. Let's just move on to question number two, which is, tell us something we don't know. Are we to assume that everything I've said so far, you were sitting there going, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, okay, did you know that two of the 9-11 attackers are available on the internet, filmed in 2000? It's the pre-roll on their jihadi videos, and they're basically playing around with a hat, trying a hat on and laughing like children. And that, in a kind of mini-universe inverting way, was extraordinary. I just had to keep looking at it because it looks like these are the guys with the same names as the guys that attacked on 9-11, but they're being played by nice-looking, idiotic actors, you know, and... Suddenly they're human. Well, yeah, and they just look like a pair of goofs to see these guys laughing and dicking about with a hat. Does give you pause for thought, yeah. So Rico, I, I kind of agree with Chris. On which point? That it would be fun to speak on God's behalf. <laughs> That's a surprise. No, I feel like right now God saith, chillax, everybody. <laughs> let's knock off the war. Let's knock off the anonymous campaign donations. Speak it, God. I, I gave you pumpkin bread. I gave you tea. Just be nice. It's hard for me to picture the, the guy from the Sistine Chapel saying chillax. What do you mean? He invented that word. Folks, <laughs> you can use a bunch of words to invent a sentence. Or an edict. Or an edict. Which you can post on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash dinner party download.
So we've heard from our guest of honor. Now it's time for the main course, the part of the show where we learn about food. So, Rico, America's foodhemians have taken another step forward. Boldly so, <laughs> they, I'm sure. They've gone from herb gardens to mini farms in their urban households. People are planting fruit trees, they're growing all sorts of vegetables, and even raising chickens now in their yards. And and dressing like farmers is also a big deal nowadays. <laughs> well, yes, that's a, that's a different story. Sort of. But here's the thing. It turns out chickens are just the gateway drug when it comes to raising animals. You know, people get a little taste of the farming life, and before they know it, they want bigger, more bountiful animals. Like lions? Like goats. <laughs> ah, free, free chevre. Well, yeah. As they say that, in France. That's just it. They think the chevre is free, but it actually takes some work. So I visited author Novella Carpenter, who wrote a book about her urban farm, which is smack dab in the middle of Oakland, and I asked her what city folks should know before they get a goat. If chickens are like marijuana, then goats are like cocaine. It's a little bit difficult and expensive to acquire, and you need some extra space. And you know, so and they make you dance all night. Yeah, they make you dance all night. <laughs> but um, so goats are definitely advanced, and I would not recommend it as a first thing that you get. Goats are they even legal to have? Yeah, actually, it is legal to have goats in Oakland. Um, you can't have male goats because male goats smell really bad, as I found out when we had Mr. Lincoln come visit the farm uh, for a couple days for stud service. <laughs> Wait, Mr. Lincoln is the stud goat? Yeah, Mr. Lincoln. He has a long, righteous beard. So he, like, kind of moved in with the girls, and at first they were playing it cool. You know, they didn't even look at him or pay attention, and then they started to smell that odor that he has. Oh, Mr. Lincoln. Oh, it's so alluring. And you know what that is? Is actually they pee on themselves. <laughs> See, that never worked for me in college. <laughs> I know. Try it again. It's coming back. Well, can we meet the goats? Yeah, let's go meet BB and Ginger. Are they going to attack me? No. They're sweet. Look at them. They're little angels. They are cute. Look at that one. It's like kind of caramel colored. Yeah, that's ginger. Oh, wait. She's ginger colored. And then that's BB. I bought her and she, her name was BB. I kind of hate that name. Like the fashion line BB? Yeah, exactly. Does she wear trashy dresses? <laughs> and sparkles. <laughs> Hi, ginger. These guys are both pregnant. You can't, I mean, maybe you can't tell. The untrained eye might not be able to. Yeah. I can't tell, but I did notice she wasn't drinking. Yeah, well, she's not smoking either. It's amazing what she's given up for these babies. So what do they do all day? They just lounge. See, look at them lounging and, like, finding places to scratch themselves. And they're not going to, like, bite my head off? No, I don't. People are scared because they have those satanic eyes. But you shouldn't be scared. They're totally friendly. They're not going to bite. Um, but don't they eat cans and stuff? No, that's such a myth. Like, people are always like, oh, goats, they'll eat anything. I mean, not really. All right, well, the reason you have these goats isn't because they're cute, right? Well, they're um, what I call uh, pets with benefits. <laughs> Their milk is so good. And then it makes really, really creamy, yummy cheese, too. So how often do they have to be milked? A lot of people who have goats milk them twice a day, so every 12 hours, but I want to have a social life, so I milk them only once a day. What is their life expectancy? Not, we don't have to say it in front of them. You can just whisper it to me. I know. BB's getting close, too. Really? How old? An old goat, 12 years, maybe, um, but after they um, ha are done giving birth, you can just send them off to some petting zoo. But how is she going to feel? Like, you know, you're not there for her golden years? You know, it's not like that. We're not best friends, you know? We don't have, like, deep conversations over coffee. Enrico, I'm happy to announce that Ginger and Bibi just had um, kids. Three of them, to be exact. Bibi had a baby. <laughs> Mr. Lincoln must be so proud. He would be proud. The problem is they're all boys. Oh, which, no. as you know now... So she can't keep them. Can't keep them in the city, so she named them Rennet 1, 2, and 3... <laughs> 
Rennet, of course, being a product made from baby goat stomachs to help cheese coagulate. <laughs> I think, She's going to sacrifice their children. I think my stomach just coagulated. Uh, and that's the dinner party download for this week, folks. Special thanks to Jackson Musker, Charlton Thorpe, Eric Eleven, Danny Marcus, and Bob Black Bart Moon. And now we leave you with One for the Road, a song to listen to on your way to or returning from this weekend's dinner party. The band Crystal Castles teamed up with Robert Smith of The Cure to cover Platinum Blonde's Not in Love. You got all Oof, that? Footnoted song. The song comes out on iTunes December 6th. Bon appétit. I saw your picture hanging on the back of my door. Galliano. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. And I'm God. Uh, wow. Brendan, nice try at paraphrasing me earlier, but what I really want to say is listeners can donate $10 to your show by texting the word radio to 25383. Additional message charges and data rates may apply. Wait a second, they apply to you too? Yeah, but my reception's great. You know, God, you sound a lot like Black Bart. Chillax, Rico. <laughs> <laughs>